Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I'm your host, Sonny Bunch, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of The Washington Post and Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine. Alyssa, Peter, how are you today? I am great. I am happy to be talking about movies with friends. First up in controversies and non-troversies, should people care if plot points are spoiled for them? Anna Lisa Cohen, a professor of psychology at Shiva University, uh, argues that they should not in an op-ed for the New York Times. She cites a study uh, in which audiences were equally enraptured by an episode of Alfred Hitchcock's TV show, regardless of whether or not they knew the ending beforehand. This is a result of a phenomenon known as narrative transportation. It's why we cry when we see something happen to a stranger in a movie or are mesmerized by something like the Sly Stallone classic cliffhanger while it's on. This is not a particularly new finding. Social scientists have argued for years that spoilers not only don't decrease enjoyment of shows, they might actually increase enjoyment. That was the finding of a 2016 study by UC San Diego psychology professor Nicholas Christenfeld, which found that across genres, people enjoyed works more when they knew the ending beforehand. And while this feels counterintuitive at first, think of the way we actually consume media. When we love a movie, we watch it over and over again, even though we've already spoiled it for ourselves by watching it. When we love a TV show, we'll watch it again and again on streaming, syndication, whatever, even though we've seen the episode a bunch of times and we know the jokes. And yet, I find all of these arguments too clever by half, like, partly because it ignores the desire of the audience to experience a work of art how they see fit, and partly because it ignores the artistry that goes into weaving a narrative in a way that both maintains suspense and delivers narrative thrust. But mostly, it's just rude. It's a violation of the social contract. Just blurt out plot points in front of people who don't want to hear them. Uh, I'm reminded of a joke in The Simpsons where Homer Simpson blurts out that Darth Vader is Luke's father after a showing of The Empire Strikes Back in front of a line of people waiting to get into the theater, and they all start grumbling about it. It's boorish. We should oppose bores slash rant. Uh, Look, there are debates over what spoilers even are, right? I am frequently arguing with folks that nothing that is in a trailer can constitute a spoiler. I'm sorry. And everything from the first act of a movie is fair game to discuss basically at any point in any venue. And there's also some discussion about when spoilers should be considered fair game, right? Like people complain about spoilers and reviews or podcasts about a movie, say, uh, have always confused me. If you don't want to know plot points about the mother which we're going to be discussing later on. Why would you listen to the next segment of this podcast? But to like sit there and kind of smugly insist that people will be happier knowing what happens in a movie, regardless of whether or not they want to, strikes me as kind of absurd. Spoiler, Alyssa is one of those sickos who doesn't care about spoilers. Isn't that right? So I personally, as a consumer, don't particularly care about spoilers. And part of that is because I actually find them as someone who does not like, for example, horror or certain kinds of violence very much, I find them helpful, right? I mean, it's a way of knowing whether, you know, I'm going to have to brace myself for something that I find uniquely unpleasant that other people may not be that big of a deal to other people. And so spoilers can function in place of that other sort of much maligned content labeling convention trigger warnings. So, you know, one person's spoiler is another person's sort of squick management. I mean, I'm interested in discussing art sort of as a whole. And so, you know, I've always been very, very caveat emptor with my own cultural writing. It's, you know, if you're here, it's assume, I assume it's because you want to discuss something in its entirety. Now that we've said that, let's proceed on to the main show without getting sort of fussy about the details. That said, I mean, I'm not going to like walk around with a megaphone, like just 
declaiming the plot points to random things all the time because as you said, that is sort of a weird, boorish, Homer Simpson-esque thing to do. And so, you know, I mean, I think the the debate over spoilers is really sort of a debate over, you know, the balance of liberty in society more broadly, which is that, you know, you should live your life the way you want. You should take care of sort of your own preferences and practices, but you should also make sure that you don't go sort of aggressively out of your way to infringe on other people's enjoyment. And at the same time, you should be able to assume that everyone else is playing by roughly the same rules. And so like the world is not going to be set up to accommodate your weird off sync viewing schedule, but also, you know, you should like, you should be able to live with the assumption that no one's gonna like sidle up to you at the Starbucks and be like, just start reciting the plot of this week's succession. You know, it's it's better to live in a world where you can generally assume that people aren't psychopaths. And that goes for many other things as well as for pop culture spoilers. Ha! Ridiculous. People aren't psychopaths? I find that hard to believe. Ideally, I, ideally people would not be psychopaths. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, if I, if I had a million dollars, I'd also be a rich person. That's not the case. Uh, look, so the reason this kind of comes up is because, as you mentioned, Succession is currently in the midst of its run. Uh, and, you know, the, the elites always get very angry when something uh, gets spoiled on their elite shows, like Succession. But the the inciting incident here is the de- was the death of a character. I won't, I won't spoil it for everyone else, because I'm not a bore. But, you know, it's one of these things where I kind of have, I kind of have difficulty feeling too bad for folks getting spoiled about something like this, in part because television has become a communal viewing experience of a sort, particularly with shows that still come out on at a regular time, on a regular channel or a regular network, like, say, Succession. You know, it's it's trickier with things like Stranger Things, where it gets dumped all at once and whatever. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, Peter, you're, you're interested in ideas of liberty and freedom and balancing those with social responsibility. What do you make of the spoiler debate? It's my right to tell you that Jack, the narrator, and Tyler Durden are the same person. And you're going to listen to me whether and learn that whether you like it or not. That's what I think. Yeah, no. Uh, so that so Fight Club is one of my all-time favorite movies, probably uh, top three or four. And it's a movie I've seen dozens, maybe into the three figures, probably three figures number of times, like kind of obsessive watching at certain points in my life, which may or may not tell you something about me. And it was like instantly one of my favorite movies. And I went in knowing the end, not because I had read the book, but because I had read, I think, an Ain't It Cool news report on the production like nine months in advance or something. And so I never had the experience of not knowing, right? I just was watching the movie kind of like I'd sort of vaguely forgotten. And also it was one of those rumor reports that like maybe it was wrong because Ain't It Cool used to get stuff wrong sometimes back then, but I kind of knew where it was going. And even still, it became like the, the just the sort of sheer electric experience of watching it, of of seeing this like, you know, crazy set of ideas, this, you know, nearly perfectly shot and edited movie unfold in front of me, even kind of knowing where it was going and having that in, in the back of my mind. Uh, it was it remains, you know, one of my favorite movies and one of the sort of most memorable movie going experiences of my life. And so I think people overrate spoilers as like a problem, even for movies that are highly twist dependent, even for, you know, a Sixth Sense or Fight Club type movie. At the same time, it's interesting to think about that versus the current debate, which is much more about television. And I do think that there is something a little different 
uh, between spoiling a movie and spoiling television these days because television has become so sort of plot and narrative dependent. And there is something I'm not, I'm actually not sure if I can even precisely capture this. And maybe, maybe one of you can kind of, uh, can hit this a little bit more with more clarity than me, but like we watch TV to sort of, to find out what happens. We watch movies to find out how it happens. And that distinction seems to be coloring a lot of the debate about whether spoilers are appropriate or not. And like I said, this is all, you know, sort of built around a big spoiler from Succession, something that in some ways people kind of saw coming ahead of time and in other ways happened at a point in the final season that people did not expect it to be happening. So I think that part of the debate about spoilers tells us something about the nature of television and like these sort of chapterized serial stories that people that or at least a certain class of person has become kind of addicted to recently. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's a good thing for TV. Maybe that suggests that like writers have really figured out how to hook people and engage them. And when shows really like are really working and are really on it, like that's good serial, you know, plot driven writing. But doesn't that also suggest that in some sense, television is I don't want to quite say lesser. And I really like Succession, to be clear, but like a a less cinematic medium like i mean you know like there's something about television that makes it much more just about the plot about like what happens next and that's why you're watching and it's interesting to think that this test was done with admittedly a tv show but something that that's a study that this is all based on was built around a hitchcock directed uh, tv show and hitchcock you know even when he was doing tv was like all about not so much what happens, but how it happens, right? He was like the ultimate kind of cinematic stylist. And you watched to see the way that he was telling the story at least as much and maybe more than you watched to see what the story was. And so I, I, I just sort of wonder if there's, if that tells us something about like the devolution of the cinematic form and like how it's just become about unfurling and, uh, you know, and and laying out plot points for people to experience in real time together rather than about artfully telling a story in a particular way where the plot ends up being not incidental but secondary or sort of i don't know it's like the yeah. where, where yeah, cinema yeah. is the thing rather than the story is the yeah. thing uh i mean i i think one way of putting this is you know prestige tv in particular has kind of become this thing where you it's a it's a parlor game about which character is going to die and when yes um to the extent that i get like emails i get literal i get actual email pitches from uh sports books that are like you know we have survival odds on the new episode of game of thrones and i'm just like first of all you're degenerates because if you're gambling on <laughs> what fictional character is going to die on a tv show you need you need to get help as a person in in crisis that seems fun that's just gonna help you become more invested in the tv show right but this is because this is what these shows now are these shows are about like who's gonna die and when I, and yeah. this goes all the way i mean this goes back to the sopranos i think right this is yes, like the the big part of the game on the sopranos was always who's gonna be the character that dies in the penultimate episode that's what we all want who's gonna get it this year who's gonna who's gonna get taken out who's gonna get whacked and that has kind of carried over into other other shows and other programs. Uh, I want to I want to touch on something, Alyssa, that you said, though, which is that, you know, the 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 goal of the writer here is different sometimes from the goal of the reader. The goal of the reader is often to get what amounts to service journalism. Should I go see this thing? 
And the assumption if you are reading for should I go see this thing is you will not have the thing spoiled for you, which I, I kind of get. I kind of understand, particularly with daily newspaper writing um, or, or, you know, daily website writing. I can I could see that being a being a thing. Um, but on the other hand, like I go back and I read old collections of Pauline Kael criticism because I'm a big loser. And, you know, if you sit down and you read uh, a review that she wrote of Seven Samurai, she's going, she talks about the whole movie. And she talks about the whole movie at a time when, like, frankly, most of the country hadn't had a chance to go see it yet. There's no, there's no universe in which somebody is going to go see Seven Samurai in, like, you know, Cleveland or Alabama. But that gets at something, you know, Peter was sort of talking about, he was talking about how people were watching movies to find out sort of how something happened and people were watching TV to find out what had happened. And I wonder if part of what we are responding to here is a shift in the synchronicity of each medium, right? I mean, now it used to be that movies would roll out solely across the United States. Viewing was, you know, was by nature an asynchronous experience depending on where you lived. Now, with the, you know, sort of the triumph of the wide release model, that, you know, sort of slow release strategy still works for some movies, but increasingly, you know, movies live and die by that sort of opening weekend box office. And there is an expectation that if something is a hot property, you will have seen it in the first weekend or fairly soon in the run. Whereas Netflix completely, or at least temporarily, sort of broke the synchronous viewing experience in television, um, inviting people to really watch things on their own schedules, making it in some ways just impossible to tell when people were watching things and sort of flipping the user experiences without entirely flipping the expectations. And so I, I wonder if this is less a function of sort of artistic quality or the function of the writer versus the reviewer, but a structural shift in how those media are viewed that our expectations and criticism haven't totally codified in response to yet, in part because the shift is not complete. I mean, that that is a, a real divide amongst readers is that there are quite a few out there and possibly even the majority of readers who are not looking for informed analysis or or ideas about a movie or a television show or a video game when they are looking for a review. They, they are just looking for that service journalism. And I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that, right? That's the perfectly legitimate function of journalism and a perfectly reasonable thing for a, a reader to desire. At the same time, that's not the only way, obviously, that, that reviews can express themselves. And, you know, I, part of this, I think, is something that is sort of a, a function of lack of how do I, it's not lack of education, It's but it's like um, uh, journalistic outlets have not done a great job of teaching readers the difference, right? And that's it's a hard thing to do in a world where even regular readers of newspapers sometimes cannot identify or understand the difference between an opinion piece in the opinion section and a news piece in the news section. And just like, that's not a distinction that they make in their heads. Um, at the same time, like, publications and, and uh, journalistic outlets can help readers understand, like, this is a piece that is designed to basically score a thing and say it's either good, great, or terrible. And this is a piece that is designed to help you sort of think about the meaning of and the, you know, the, the, the patterns and the artistic qualities of a thing, rather than just to say it's good or it's bad and it's worth your money or it's not. Yeah. I mean, the critics like to say, like, our job is not to tell you whether or not something is good. It's to help you understand why it's good. And like, yes, that's true to a certain extent. 
but also like there's a reason when I worked at the Washington Times as a daily film critic that we had a little box that yep. went in at the front of each of the reviews and you filled it out and it had the title and the director and the runtime and a star rating because that way people yep. could look at it and be like, okay, three stars, that that's maybe good enough to go see. Or they'd look at it and they see two and a half stars. That's a cop-out rating, Sonny. What are you doing? Why'd you give another movie 2.5 stars? And I'd just be like, look, man, sometimes it's, it's not. It's, <laughs> most movies are like, eh. Because I see a hundred movies a year, and most of them are two and when a half I, stars. When I, when I, I have to write. I have to write a hundred reviews a year, and eighty of them are in the. Eh, it's it's probably fine. Range. That's that's just what movies are. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, so what do we think? Is it a controversy or a controversy that people are trying to normalize spoilers in this polarizing environment? Peter, it's a controversy. People should be less sensitive about spoilers. Alyssa. Uh, it's a controversy. Um, everyone needs to be more responsible for their own media consumption. It's a minor controversy because wow. the people are right to be upset when somebody's like, oh, you shouldn't care. You're going to enjoy this thing more now that you know the ending. That's not how art works. I refuse. I don't believe your sham social sciences with your gobbledygook and your your nonsense numbers. Don't tell me about a show. I want to watch it myself. Yeah, All nobody right. enjoys the Mona Lisa if they've seen a photo of it beforehand. That's right. That's why we should ban photographs. All right. Make sure to swing by Bulwark Plus for a special live bonus episode this week. Uh, the War Games screening has officially sold out. There's no tickets left. But we should have something for you on Friday about the movie and the apocalyptic moment and movement in cinema, assuming all the technical issues are taken care of. Uh, producers whispering towards you. All right. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun time. At the very least, I'm going to have a beer and talk about movies with friends. It's going to be great. All right, and now on to the main event, The Mother. Jennifer Lopez stars as The Mother, an assassin who is forced to come out of retirement to save the daughter she gave up for adoption when she turned state's evidence against her compatriots for engaging in human trafficking. Spoiler alert, The Mother saves her daughter uh, and kills the bad guys, and they both learn important lessons, that is, the mother and the daughter, uh, about survival and how surviving isn't always enough. All right, look, I'm just going to throw this out there. Just objectively speaking, this is not a particularly well-made film. I feel like in the post-John Wick era where you've got, like, high-concept action movies, it's not enough just for the concept to be good and the actors to be solid. You need to have well-construction action scenes and visual ideas that you are trying to tell in your story and give the audience something to chew on. And the action sequences in this movie are all not only boring, but edited to within an inch of their lives. I mean, like, there's this very funny clip I think of a lot from the movie Taken 3 that just shows the number of edits needed to demonstrate Liam Neeson climbing over a fence. There's like 12 cuts in a three-second span of time. Like, it's if you watch it enough times, you, like, will have an epileptic fit because it is like a strobing light, just like cut, 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 cut. It's, it's awful. Um, and that's what this movie feels like a lot of the time. There are just these randomly spliced together shots that, like, approximate fluidity of motion than actually being fluid. Um, I didn't care about any of the characters in this picture. Lopez is sullen and charisma-free. Uh, her daughter, who is played by Lucy Paez, Pay, Pay, Pies, Pies, I don't know, is vaguely annoying. Omari Hardwick feels like a stuntman who's been given a big break rather than a longtime actor who anchors a hit TV show. Uh, Gael Garcia Bernal is in the movie for like five minutes and is good, but it's too little too late. Uh, I'd already checked out. I don't know. This feels like a very not good movie, guys. 
it's like it is content that is content to coast on star power and cliched silliness, which maybe means it's the perfect Netflix movie. It's the streaming option that's, you know, fine with entertaining you while you're folding your socks. You can just put your socks together and just, you know, not really pay attention to what's going on. I, I don't know, Peter, what did you make of this Mother's Day weekend offering the mother? Well, the first thing that I learned is that cashew cheese is objectively violence. Like just if you're going to eat cashew cheese, just understand that you're contributing to the violence in the world because there's a whole scene about that, about how everything you eat. It's actually kind of a weird, random scene, and it's in some ways indicative of the movie's biggest problem, which is that the script is really, really terrible. And I and the dialogue in this movie is just is just unfortunate, um, right? Like there's a like J Jennifer Lopez actually has to say at the end of the movie, "I'm a killer." But I'm also a mother, right? Like, come on, that's that's a direct-to-video tagline from 1996 for a different movie called The Mother that has like the same plot, but is actually just this movie because that's kind of what this is: is a direct-to-video film with a, a little bit uh, more star power and a little bit bigger production budget. At the same time, as much as this is definitely not a good movie, it's not a completely terrible one. And so Nikki Caro uh, is the director most recently of Mulan, but also she's a, from New Zealand. She's done, to, done a bunch of films that are sort of interested in women's lives, but also in like natural landscapes and sort of places. And I do think that you're ever so slightly too harsh on this movie uh, when you say it has no visual ideas, Sonny, because even though, yes, it's edited very badly and often it's like they just didn't get a shot, like there's sort of obviously missing motion in the yes. middle of a in the middle yes. of like what should be like a really small motion right like somehow or another like load, loading a rifle or something yeah or like jennifer lopez is on the floor of a truck and then she's driving a truck and somehow there's supposed to be something in between that but like we never see it and the movie just has enough of those weird breaks that you start to notice them in a way that's bad but the movie also does some really nice landscape photography work that is better than you would expect from a movie like this. Caro is definitely taking advantage of the fact that we now have drone photography and you can do these big sweeping uh, uh, landscape scenes uh, in a way that you just couldn't in a movie of this size, you know, 20 years ago. And some of those, some of those shots, in particular one that ends in, spoiler alert, a car crash, actually do look kind of interesting, do seem to have some sort of idea, right? There is a, there is a real sense of, maybe I won't say there's a real sense of place here, but there is an effort to in, infuse this movie with a sense of place. And Kara's also, you know, continually, like she's been interested in the experience of women and the specifically a, a female experience of the world. And I feel like she's trying to put that into what is essentially taken, but for a lady, right? Like it's lady taken. It's very similar in its sort of themes and its structure, right? It's a, like uh, Liam Neeson had his daughter kidnapped. He's got very special skills and he goes and kills the bad guys. Same deal here, except it's Jennifer Lopez and it's her daughter and she's got very special skills and same thing, right? But she's actually trying to do something with this in a way that isn't just let's go through the motions. Let's, you know, sort of hit the beats and like, it doesn't work, I think, ultimately, but there is more here than the bare minimum. I could not disagree more about that. I mean, I they, they made a movie that was like that, but better, and it was Peppermint. That movie, much better than this one. 
another problem with this, uh, I, Alyssa, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get to you in one second here. I, another problem with this, just from a visual standpoint, is that snipering, sniper shooting is like the most boring possible thing to depict on screen as an action, like just aesthetically, like hand-to-hand combat is is interesting to watch and there are things that you can you can see happening even close up gunplay or knife play interesting but snipers just like all right i'm all right i'm getting a bead i'm pulling the trigger oh i i I hate it Alyssa, what did you make of the mother i mean this thing is sort of a mess um the the scene that peter mentioned is actually despite the fact that it's weird is probably the best scene in the movie if only because it encapsulates really well like an argument between a parent and a righteous teen right it's like Jennifer Lopez's character's daughter, Zoe, is like refusing to eat uh, rabbit stew and, you know, starts insisting that there must be something in her, you know, that in her diet that's like not, you know, the product of like cruelty and violence. And her mom is just like, nope, warlords, nope, like, you know, civil war, all of this stuff. And like, it's actually a pretty funny riff on the like, you know, stubborn parent and the, you know, willful child. Um, You know, this movie, (laughs) a big problem with this movie is that it never explains why Jennifer Lopez's character wouldn't just have had an abortion, right? I mean, she's presented as this originally, like, amoral, you know, arms trafficker who is in this weird threesome with two other evil arms traffickers. And, like, she gets knocked up and she wants to keep the baby. It's like a person in her position might have just had an abortion. It's entirely possible that that would be a thing. And Well, one of the arms traffickers definitely tries to cause one in the opening sequence. Spoiler alert. I, I don't think stabbing someone in this. I, that's an attempted hom- Like, I'm pro-choice. And, like, I, but, like, I think that's an attempted homicide, not no, abortion. Fair enough. Uh, but, clear. like, the same outcome. Uh, yes. And so, but then it also makes no sense that they, like, come back for the kid years later and like you know talk about just like wanting to like do horrible things to her specifically in a weird way this movie called the mother like weirdly lacks any interiority on the part of its depiction of her like weird murder ex-boyfriends um like this is supposed to be a movie about the sort of deep power of parenthood but it it does not particularly feel like a script written by anyone who has any experience of parenthood, um, except for that one scene where they argue about the inherent violence of cash and cheese. Um, <laughs> and every scene where the actress who plays Zoe complains about not having her phone. Um, and it's, it's a, sh- and it's a shame because like Paul Rossi, who we all really loved in the sound of metal is in this, right. As like, you know, Jennifer Lopez's characters, like, you know, gruff Australian hookup, um, you know, supply hookup, not romantic hookup. Um, you know, again, like Gail Garcia Bernal is in this for like 30 seconds. Um, there were a lot of, like, uh, can we, I'm sorry, can, there, you know who else is in this movie for, for like 30 seconds? Edith e- Falco. Edith Falco? Why? Yeah, as a, it's like a mean FBI agent who's like, you wasted my time so we won't protect you. Let's terminate your parental rights, yeah. right? It's like, weird, very weird. Um, so it's like, and it's interesting. I don't know if either of you have seen Whale Rider, uh, which is excellent. And probably because it is, you know, very sort of culturally and geographically specific. 
and it looks beautiful. Um, it's like sort of Avatar The Way of Water in that it's about like bonding with whales and stuff, but you know, about Maori people instead of, you know, t- tall blue aliens. Um, so there clearly was something that attracted a fairly talented group of people to this, but whatever it is, it it, it is not particularly evident on screen. I'll tell you what it was. It was Netflix dollars. Nef- well, yes, Nef- sorry. Netflix, I, you know. I'm sure, threw like $80 million. They're probably not that much, but they probably threw an obscene amount of money at this movie and folks came and signed up to it and then they slopped together the crappiest stuff you've ever I this is again this is this is my one of the reasons I focus so much on the business of filmmaking is because the business of filmmaking is very important if you care about the artistry of filmmaking and the artistry of filmmaking depends entirely upon what is working uh, within the business of film it's the the two it's flip sides of the same coin and sometimes people are like oh you care too much about box office dollars and what's succeeded blah, blah. and like maybe that's true but the but the problem is when you don't care about uh this this sort of stuff you get a lot of things like the mother which is the number one movie on netflix lots of people watched it you know why they watched it they watched it because they opened up their netflix app jennifer lopez New movie from Jennifer Lopez is on the front screen of, you know, 100 million households in the United States. And they're like, ah, yeah, sure, I'll watch that. Why not? And now it's a success. This is a success for Netflix. They get to say, look, we got another number one movie here. We got, you know, 50 million hours watched. People people love Jennifer Lopez. And we're going to get more lazy crap like this. So I care about these things because I care about not seeing bad movies and being forced to talk about them on this podcast and in other places. I don't I don't like to have to talk about bad movies. I like to be a positive person. I'm the most positive person that I know. And this is a negative this is a negative movie that inspires negative emotions in me. Can we spend sort of 30 seconds talking about Jennifer Lopez as movie star? Um, because I think we can probably all agree that I don't think she's ever made anything as good as Out of Sight again and that's a shame right i mean she she is you know wildly sort of charismatic personality she holds the screen very well and she is you know very popular and successful and nobody knows what to do with her and i really just like can we please reteam her and steven soderbergh for something because that would be great well she was good in hustlers yeah, I, I will say she gets to deliver an awful lot of terrible dialogue in this movie, and she does so with something close to panache. She elevates it. I won't say she always makes it good because it's just wretched dialogue, but she takes it seriously and she showed up to work here in this movie, even though the movie itself didn't actually end up being all that good. Yeah, I mean, look, I think she always works hard, right? Like she, you know, she never doesn't bring it. Um, she just brings it in a lot of stuff that's terrible. Yeah, she's look, she's good in this. She's good in this. Um, but the problem is, again, she's not she's not asked to do anything. And I, I, I like, I don't know, man. I, I the the word that kept coming up in as I was writing my you know uh, pre show write up here in my head was sullen. She just looks like I understand that's the character. She's like off in the, you know, abandoned wastes of Alaska and just kind of, you know, living her life and waiting to die or whatever. But like, I, I there's just, there's something, there's something missing. There's something missing. She's like from a wolf, Sonny. She's like a mama wolf. <sighs> if you don't understand well, the mama wolf, you're not going to understand motherhood. And that's part of the problem with this movie, right? Is that like, it's, you know, it's the mother. It's ostensibly about motherhood, but it is so dedicated to just like making a you know Liam Neeson butt girl movie that you know there's just no room in the plot for 
her feelings about her pregnancy, why she decides to keep the baby, how, like, does it change her as a person? What, you know, how does she think about her daughter in the 12 years in between, like, giving her up and accidentally reuniting with her, right? I mean, there's not any particular interest in a mother's role or any sort of distinctly female part of that experience. And the movie is just flatter and less interesting than it could be as a result. All right, so what do we think? Thumbs up or thumbs down on the mother? Peter? Thumbs down, sadly. Alyssa? Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Bad movie. Don't watch it. Uh, all right, that is it for this week's show. Make sure to head over to Bulwark Plus for our bonus episode on Friday. Uh, tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If we don't grow, we will die. If you did not love today's episode, if you worked on the mother and you want to yell at me, that's fine. You can do that. Uh, you can play to me on Twitter at Sunny Bunch. I'll convince you that your movie sucks and also that this is the best show in your podcast feed. See you guys next week. Mm-hmm.